Thank you, Joseph. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Thanks for coming out this morning. Glad you're here. And I know we have several out sick this morning. Seems to be something going around, keeping some folks home. But uh, glad to be able to gather together and worship with you. Before we open up God's Word, could I just uh, want to inform you about something and ask for you to pray for us uh, as a church. Um, some of you would be aware that at our recent members meeting, we, we kind of talked about this facility and our time here is temporary. We knew that coming in. It's been a wonderful provision of God for us to be able to meet here in this beautiful facility, uh, but it is for sale. I did hear there is an offer on the table. We don't know how that's gonna play out. Uh, what I wanted to let you know of and ask you to pray is that we actually have found another opportunity, a place for us to meet. And we're in the middle of investigating that a little bit further. It, it, it looks good in many ways. It suits us quite well. Uh, it's a much nicer facility in many ways. It seems to have what we need. We're still sorting through some details about storage and um, what kind of setup and takedown would be involved in something like that. But it's a beautiful lobby area and a patio out back, place for us to linger together, mingle together, interact together before and after the service, which is something that we love to do. And so that's, that suits us real well. The meeting room size fits us uh, much better than, than this does. Oh, and, and, and by the way, it has heat and it has air conditioning. So I just thought you might want to know that. That might be a little piece of information that's uh, helpful and encouraging. Uh, what we're wrestling through is some of the details of what would be required for setup and takedown and storage. And it, it would require us at least initially to move our meeting off of Sunday morning and meet later in the day on Sunday. So we've got some significant decisions. We're drawing some people in that would be affected by this, talking this through. If you would pray, I'm sure the Lord will lead us and give us the wisdom that we need. So we're hoping in the next couple of weeks, we'll have those questions answered and keep you informed uh, if in fact we're, we're looking at a move in the near future. So I want you to know about that and want you to be in prayer about that. Okay, our text this morning is in the gospel according to Mark. We are in Mark chapter 9, going back to our study through the gospel according to Mark. And so I'd like to take some time to read in chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. Pray with me. Let's read the scripture, and then we'll, we'll, we'll charge into what I believe the Lord has for us this morning. Father, we're about to read words that uh, really are the most important words that will be spoken today. They're words that are inspired by your spirit. It truly is a holy book. Uh, it, it truly does have your mark of your authorship on it. And we look to it for wisdom. We look to it to hear your voice. It, it is really the primary means that you've given us, Lord, to understand and know you and how to follow you and how to serve you and how to honor you and how to glorify you. So teach us today. You have much to say to us and you know every individual that's here in this room. And so we ask that you would take the scripture that's read, the sermon that is preached and work it together for good in the hearts and souls of each one who can hear my voice for your glory in Jesus name, amen. Mark chapter nine beginning in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, that would be Jesus, 
were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. A little bit of an unusual story in the scriptures. I will not read to you all of Charles Spurgeon's sermon on this text, though I'm sure we would all benefit from it if I did, but I would like to borrow his title from his sermon, The Secret of Failure. The Secret of of failure none of us like to fail we all like to succeed at everything we put our hand to do we don't like to fail we don't like to come up short we love to choose hobbies that turn out to be enjoyable and we're good at them we like to take classes that we pass we like to get jobs that we do well at enjoy and get rewarded for we prefer to develop friendships that last, marriages that stay together and grow better and deeper. We love to raise children that mature well and are successful in life, but we know life has a way of pointing out our limitations. Life has a way of pointing out our limitations. Even the most talented of people and there might be some of you here in the room, you are some of the most talented people. I've met a couple of very talented people and even the most talented people find that they face moments, times, seasons, days where they have to face, come face to face 
with their own inabilities and their own limitations. Sometimes a thing is just beyond us. Sometimes it's just too hard for us. Sometimes we're simply not strong enough. It's one thing to try and fix the kitchen sink, only to find out you do have to call a plumber after all. It's another thing to attempt to play the violin and find out it's just not my thing. I really don't have it within me to do it. It's an altogether different thing to, to enter into a, a marriage and find out we couldn't make it work. We didn't make it work. It's another thing to raise children and have them go wayward and wonder and look at where did we fail and what was going on here. But there's another kind of failure. There's another kind of failure that our text draws us to. And as I read the Bible, I come to the understanding that this issue of this kind of failure is the thing that seems to be most important to God. I'm talking about a failure of faith. I mean our failures to trust God. Our failures to rely on him, to look to him, and to live out our lives inside the realities of who he is and what he has said. It seems that regardless of the ups and downs in lives that all of us face from time to time, the thing most important to God is, do you trust me? Will you believe in me? who I am, and what I've said. And this brings us to our text that we read together this morning. The section that we're in, roughly chapters 8 through 10, is a series of failures on the part of the disciples. They are in a real slump. They are not batting well at all. They are making one mistake after another. They're on a real losing streak here. And what's happening is, in a sense, the clock is ticking. We've transitioned halfway through. First half, everything is about Jesus, like fireworks displaying his authority over all things. And so it is miracle after miracle, all making this one point about who Jesus is. He is, has supreme authority over all things, nature included, spirits included, everything. And then we make this transition, and he starts talking about going to the cross. And the page turns, a new chapter begins, and Jesus starts counting down the days and telling them, I need to suffer, I need to die. And they're having a hard time comprehending it, but what this means is Jesus, the, 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 the time is getting short for Jesus to begin preparing these disciples, okay? He's about to hand over the whole enterprise to these 12 guys, and they're not ready, okay? This is like we're a couple days before the concert, and the musicians are not practiced up. They're not ready for the show. It's like the baseball season is about to begin, but the players, the athletes, they're not in shape. They're not ready, and we're getting closer, and we're getting closer. It's like game day is coming, 
Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave. That's why his comments here, how long am I going to be with you? Do you understand? I'm leaving pretty soon. And it's all about getting these 12 guys' faith in shape ready. Guys, you need to learn how to trust me. You need to learn what it means to live in faith. And so we have here the secret of failure. While these failures are unwanted, we don't wish them upon ourselves. I don't wish them upon you. I would love all of us to succeed all the time at everything we do. Nevertheless, we will face moments when we have to come face to face with our inadequacies and our shortcomings, and we will fail. But in these moments, they are extremely important moments that God uses. Extremely valuable moments for our faith. These moments when we fail. And here is what I want to communicate, that the secret of failure is that our limitations are meant to increase our dependence onto the Lord's unlimited grace. Your limitations, my limitations, on those moments in life when we, have to, when we bump into them and we face them and have to deal with them, those moments are meant to increase our dependence onto the Lord's unlimited grace. Let's walk through the story it breaks down in about four scenes, and so we're just going to take it a little section at a time as we track through the story, and we'll take our lessons each step along the way, and it will begin to form this very statement. First scene is the disciples' failure. This is verses 14 through 19. There's a commotion at the bottom of the mountain. If you remember the previous text, if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about this mountaintop experience. Peter, James, and John are with Jesus. They go up on the mountain. They see Jesus glorified. They see Moses. They see Elijah. Uh, I think this is the quintessential mountaintop experience. In fact, it's very possible that the phrase mountaintop experience came from that event. They're on the mountain. They're in the glory. They're seeing it all. And they're just amazed at what they see. And they come down. And the other nine are dealing with real life. The three special guys get to go up and have their mountaintop experience. The nine guys are down, fussing with the realities of life. And they get caught in a mess at the bottom of the hill. And Jesus comes to this crowd, the disciples, the scribes. There's an argument. There's a commotion. And Jesus says, what are you arguing about with them? The grammar would say that he's addressing the scribes who were arguing with the disciples. But what happens was when Jesus asked that question, a man steps out of the crowd and begins to share his story. And we read it. His son is tormented. He says, Lord, I, I, I came to you for help. My son is in a bad way. We have no hope. It's not good. This demon is trying to destroy him, and I don't doubt someday will succeed. And I came for help. I came to your disciples, but they were unable to help us. Literally, they were not strong enough to do what needed to happen. Jesus' response to this story is that he laments 
their lack of faith, the disciples. Before Jesus spoke, there were two things that were predominant on the scene here. Two things that filled the whole atmosphere. The bigness of the problem, and Mark is a little unusual in how much detail he goes into about this boy's condition and what this demon is doing in his life. Much more detail than the other gospel writers. So Mark is going to great lengths to explain it's bad. In other words, we've got kind of a worst case scenario problem. The problem is large. And the other thing that is predominant here before Jesus speaks is the inability of the disciples. Now back in chapter 3, they were sent out to do this very thing. And in chapter 6, it says that they did it. And they went out and they cast out demons. They healed the sick. They preached the gospel. All apparently with some wonderful success. Because we're told they came back rejoicing. It's a wonderful thing. Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Even the demons listen to us in your name. And now all of a sudden they find themselves unable. And the scribes are right there. The scribes have been right there alongside Jesus all along, always being the fault finder, always trying to pick a fight, always trying to say why you're not legitimate. And here they are again, making the most of the moment. So before Jesus speaks, two things. Big, big problem. Incapable disciples. The problem is big. Our abilities are small. That's the whole scene. But then Jesus speaks and redirects. Now two different things begin to dominate. First, himself. How long am I going to be with you? How long must I bear? Now all of a sudden, Jesus is putting himself in the center here. And then he comments about their faith. Oh, faithless generation. Nine guys in particular. You nine, why so faithless? So now, instead of big problem, weak disciples, we've got great Jesus and weak faith. That's the transition that Jesus brought into this conversation. Tell me something. Can you relate to that? When you have big problems and you feel incapable, too weak, not strong enough, what dominates your soul? The problem is big. My abilities are small. Jesus steps in. In a sense, says, I am big, and it's your faith that's small. Changes the picture changes the focus, reorients people's thinking. Secret of failure begins with shifting our attention from our own hearts and from the situation and from the problem onto Jesus and making it about trusting Him, our trust, our confidence in Him. Scene two. Jesus responds specifically to the desperate father. The scene now shifts. 
Jesus approaches the crowd, disciples, scribes, everybody's involved. Now we get a little bit more private. The Father is face to face with Jesus. He leaves the issue of the disciples' lack of faith, turns to the Father, and starts to ask some questions. How long has the boy been like this? Now, if you're tracking with all the miracles so far, you know already Jesus didn't need more information to figure this one out, to solve this problem. Jesus had what it takes. He spoke a word to a legion of demons, and they all scattered. They're gone, squealing away. There's, there's no lack of power or authority with Jesus. Jesus did not need to ask any questions. He didn't need any more information. All he had to do was whatever he wanted, think it, wave his hand, point his finger, say the word, and it would be done. And yet, he steps into this man's life and reality and sorrow and hardship, and he begins to draw him out and say, tell me, my friend, how long has it been like this? Help me understand. Tell me what's going on here. And the father answers him, since childhood, it's bad. It's trying to destroy him. Throws him into the fire, throws him into the water. I'm afraid one time I'm not going to be there to pull him out or I'll be too late. And then makes this plea to Jesus. Jesus, if you can do anything. Jesus, if you can do anything, would you please have compassion on us my son myself please it's terrible it's bad and Jesus responds if you can if you if you can we, we need to read Jesus Jesus is not saying well if you can Jesus, if you can, no, if you can. What are you saying if I can? You can. It, it wasn't that. Jesus was just repeating his question. If I can, do, do you realize? Have you been listening? Have you, been, have you not been reading chapters 1 through 7? Have you not been paying attention as to what's going on here? Nothing is impossible. I can do all things. I'm not lacking any authority here. I'm not lacking any power. The problem is not too big for me. Not by any stretch of the imagination. There is nothing. I created it all. I'm over it all. I have complete authority. Why would you even ask if I can do anything? Of course I can. I can do anything. Jesus' ability was not the issue at all. And Jesus says, all things are possible for those who believe. And let me just make a note about the all things because there would be some, many, prosperity preacher-like that would say all things means all things, which means if you just believe, you can have anything you want. It does seem to miss the point of the text. What Jesus is communicating here is, look, there's no deficiency of power with me. There's no limitation or lack on my part. 
And so it's not, well, that means you can have whatever you want. If you just think it, dream it, pray it, ask it, you can have the car, you can have the house, whatever. It's like, well, that, that, that so misses the aspect of the kingdom. Jesus is making a point about who he is here. And so you need to understand something about who I am. When you need something, you're not coming to anyone who is lacking anything. You're coming to someone who has authority over all things and can do all things. No limits. So it's good for us to think in terms of that means we can go to the Lord and we can receive from him anything and everything we need to live godly in Christ Jesus. Anything and everything that we need to walk in a way that trusts him, that honors him, that reflects his grace in our lives. It's not a, it's not a pass to eliminate suffering from our lives. It's not, a, it's not a blank check to get the possessions uh, that we want. It's a statement about what's available to us and the unlimited authority and power and grace that we can have in Christ. These apostles that he's training, discipling, getting ready, they would later find themselves sometimes in palaces and sometimes in prisons, and their joy in Christ and their willingness to serve Christ seemed to be unaltered by either, unaffected by either. And that's the kind of faith that Jesus is trying to make in the hearts of these disciples, where Jesus himself becomes the center of it and the focus of it. Well, the man confesses his unbelief. I'm so glad this story is here. I'm so glad Mark recorded this guy's cry at this point. Oh, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe and I don't. I kind of believe and I kind of don't. I know I believe, but I'm still struggling. I have doubts. I'm mixed. I'm desperate. I think I believe. I'm not sure I believe. I have some, it's all, my, my soul is all mixed up. Oh, Jesus, I'm here face to face with you. I see what you're saying. Help me. So we have a bigger than life problem. We have a father who has a, a mixture of desperation, of doubt, and faith, all swirling around inside his soul. And we have a, a Jesus, a savior, a master, a Lord here who is so powerful enough to exercise a legion of demons, this demon doesn't stand a chance. And it's all it took. A father with a mixed up heart, an unsure soul, but trying, leaning in the right direction, looking in the right, the right direction, asking the right questions, going to the right source, not perfectly, but going in the right direction. Scene three, Jesus cast the demon out. All the ingredients were there. One man with faltering faith comes to Jesus. All the power of this divine savior is bestowed. Told the demon, to leave and never return to this boy again. So this demon puts up his last ditch fight. 
obviously like a little child sent to his room, has to slam the door just to let you know, I'm mad, don't like what's going on here. But the word was spoken, and the demon had to go, and the demon did go. Convulsed the boy so badly, so badly, everyone around was sure he was dead. He looked dead. You would have thought he was dead. And yet Jesus raised the boy. Here, Mark begins to insert some language that is just wanting to get all of our hearts and minds wrapped around death and resurrection. I don't know for sure that he was dead or not dead. Not exactly the point. But Mark does want us to see this picture. Oh, Satan is there to destroy. And if he could, he would. It will look as if dead if Satan had his way with you. And here comes Jesus and cast out that strong man. And then raises this boy, lifts him up, takes him by the hand. New life comes in. The boy is cleansed, changed forever, never to be tormented again. Jesus lifts him up. Once again, our lessons have been similar week after week. All things are possible. Jesus can do it. All things are possible with him. God leads us back to this wonderful truth each and every time. Tell me something, saints. When you think back, and some of you that have been walking with the Lord for some time, I know you've had some ups and downs. I know you've had some failures. I know you've had some setbacks. But tell me this. Has not God been faithful? Could you re- can, can you honestly say, I, I look back and, and I just, I have to admit, God has been faithful in my life. Now, all the circumstances have not necessarily worked out the way I had hoped or thought or anticipated. Nevertheless, could we not stand here together today and say, the Lord was with us. The Lord was faithful. I have some of my most profound moments of conviction after I doubt the Lord. After I despair and think, oh Lord, I don't know how you're going to get me out of this one. I don't know how you're going to solve this problem seems insurmountable. That I don't see a way out here. I see nothing but trouble ahead here. And yet I can stand here today and say, in spite of having moments like that, God has been faithful. And then I look back, and how many times have I said to myself, now, why did I doubt? Why did I waver? How many times does God have to come through and prove himself to me and show his grace to me for me to finally stand up and say, okay, now I know it for sure. He's faithful. We've got disciples with pathetic faith. We've got a dad with weak, mixed faith. And yet, this boy was changed forever and will never go back to what he once was. Scene number four, back to the disciples' faith. Now the scene changes. The last couple verses, the disciples and Jesus go back to a house. Now they're in a private conversation, and here comes 
the question, why? Jesus, why couldn't we? You sent us to do this. We did it. It worked before. It didn't work this time. Why not? Why could we not cast it out? Okay, friends, the secret of failure often begins with you and I being willing to step in and ask the question, why? The failure happened. It didn't work out. We were embarrassed. We prayed. We asked for it. Nothing happened. It didn't work. Everybody's watching. Step one, come to Jesus and say, why? Lord, why, why didn't it work out this way? Now, I understand there is an unhealthy kind of introspection that can ruin our souls, constantly looking in the mirror, constantly looking inside. It must be me. There's something wrong with me. I understand. There, and some will always have a tendency towards that and we need to be on guard against that and realize there's an unhealthy kind of extended introspection that can just be the enemy bringing our soul down but there is also a very healthy courageous kind of heart that will go to the lord and say lord help me understand why why it went like this, why it didn't go the way I expected, why the prayer was not answered when I asked for this. That can be healthy. That can be good. But it does take courage. It takes humility because Jesus just might tell you. And it could be something. It could be that the Lord says, I've been wanting to put my finger on something in your life. I've been wanting to get your attention. I've been trying to speak to you. And now that I have your attention, and we should be listening and let the Lord speak. Well, Jesus answers them. He says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This kind. When you read that, you kind of get the impression like I do that it's like, oh, this kind of demon? Like there are little demons, weak demons, and big demons, and bigger, bigger demons, and there's all this hierarchy here, and it's like, oh, you guys back in chapter 6, you were just dealing with the little weak demons. Now you came across one of the big ones, and these kind, not like those kind, come out by prayer well it's possible but unlikely probably not what Jesus was wanting to communicate this is probably not a lesson in demonology and trying to lay out for us some kind of hierarchy of various levels of strength and weaknesses of various demonic forces it doesn't really fit the lesson and the context of what's going on here several of the commentators that that i studied would say that this is merely listing a broad category of all demons this this kind of problem 
the word kind is really, it's the same root word as generation. When Jesus said, oh, faithless generation, and now it's translated, and this kind, like this whole generation, this whole category, this whole nation of, of demons, they come out a different way. And not by contrasting, oh, you could get them out this way or you can get them out that way. More in general, just saying that they only come out by prayer. Only by prayer. Now, in this context, I've been talking about faith from the very beginning, and yet at the very end, it's like it's about prayer. Yes, exactly. Because they're kind of the same thing. They belong together. We should not separate them. It's precisely what the lesson is saying. Prayer is the primary expression of our trust in God. Oh, you faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? You need to pray. What does it mean to trust God? Well, the outward expression of having a trust, a faith inside your own soul is the outward expression of prayer. That's how faith gets expressed. The assumption here is that in some way these nine disciples were behaving in a way, acting in a way that somehow they were less dependent upon Jesus than they were previously. And Jesus was exposing that and they failed so that their failure could go to their dependence and deepen their dependence upon him. So he could put himself again at the center of what's going on and saying, look, this is how it's going to work. <laughs> Guys, you've got to get ready. I'm not going to be here much longer. You need to learn how to depend upon me. And the minute you start drifting and start depending on yourself or thinking you think you got this routine down or you just know how to do it and you can go off on your own and just do your thing, stop, wait, listen, you will fail because these kind come out only by prayer. The disposition of the heart is linked with the outward action of actually praying there's a danger of not praying enough and I have felt this and maybe you have as well this sort of idea that comes over you oh I didn't pray enough that's why I didn't get the job that's why it didn't work out that's why the deal didn't go through I guess I didn't pray enough well there may be some truth in that, but what I want to clarify is just, just to be careful about just thinking, oh, I just didn't pray enough, as if each miracle, each answer, each situation that you need God's grace in your life requires so many minutes of prayer in order to get it. You see what I'm saying? How somehow we can inadvertently maybe separate Christ from praying. You and I need Jesus. 
We need to commune with Jesus. We need to be connected to Christ. So yes, that means praying, but I, I fear sometimes we get caught up in saying, I have to log in so many minutes, and if I just log in so many minutes, then I think I'll cross over the threshold and get the answer that I want to get. If that's the case, we're missing the point. With that, it certainly could mean that you need to pray more. <laughs> Are you facing a decision? You've got a challenge in your life? It's fair to ask you the question, have you prayed about it? And that question does not mean, well, did you fill out your timesheet, your prayer timesheet, and did you check enough boxes, log in enough minutes in order to get the answer? No, the answer is, look, did you pray about it? The question really means, are you looking to the Lord for this? Are you trusting the Lord? Are you functioning in an active faith towards him in this situation? Well, rather than asking that question like that, we would simply say, but have you prayed about it? Which means the same thing. Meaning, are you looking to the Lord for guidance and provision in this situation? Are you actively trusting him and allowing him to answer and respond and do his will in your life? God's calling us to pray because God's calling us to trust him because we live by faith. Somehow these disciples failed because their faith somehow got displaced, misplaced. And Jesus draws them back. And when Jesus draws us back and realigns our perspective, it's no longer this problem is big. My abilities are small. Now it's, we have a big Savior. And we can, in our hearts, look to him and trust him for it. Let me invite the worship team up as I just conclude here. We cannot avoid times when you and I have to face our limitations. They will happen. They might be few for some of us in the room, but they will come nevertheless. Some of us face them much more often than we would like. But the secret to facing those limitations and to facing them well is to recognize that God values those moments in order to deepen our dependence upon him. Your next failure is one of your most important moments and one of your greatest opportunities to deepen your faith, to increase your confidence, to stretch your dependence, your actual living, functioning dependence onto the Lord. And that dependence is expressed primarily through prayer. I thought it was timely and fortunate this the last Sunday of this calendar year. Just a few days we'll turn the page and begin a, a new year. And as we 
enter a new year. We're sitting in a building that is up for sale. We have an opportunity to meet somewhere else. We have another pastor, Tim Owens, who is in Louisville getting trained and in six months will arrive here in Pasadena to join this team and be a part of this church. They need a house to live in, we hope, close by the church. We need financial provision to compensate him, to pay him for his salary of coming on staff. We're here as a church just coming up on two years of pandemic, seeing many folks leaving the state. We're facing a fresh new year with all some history, some challenges, some opportunities all around us. We, we, we are here called to reach more people who don't know the Lord. We live in a city filled with people that do not know, they don't taste, they don't experience, they're not aware of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. It's our job to be a part of getting them that message, helping them see it, helping them hear it, helping them understand it so that we can make disciples of all nations, which we are called to do as a church. We want to do this. How are we going to do this? That's a big task. You could say it's a big problem. Lots of lost people. And we could look in the mirror and say, uh, not all that adequate. I mean, we've got our weaknesses. And we, what, how is this going to be done? Well, these things happen by prayer. I'd love to challenge us. We're starting a new year. Let's be a praying church. Let's be a praying people. Our, our greatest joy is going to be when we find our stride of our greatest dependence upon the Lord. We're not going to be at our best when we're resting on our own abilities and our own skills and our own adequacies. It's, it's when we acknowledge it all and yet we find our stride of saying he's bigger he's capable he has full authority he can do all things and so we place our trust in him we're looking to him let's face this next year with a full deeper greater dependence upon the lord and let's let that be expressed in you and I praying. Amen. Let's do it. Let's stand together. We'll close with a song.